become a very great threat. I can't. Anakin is the father, isn't he? I'm so sorry. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 421, Top Revenge of the Sith Novel Moments. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Lord Vader to my Lord Sidious, we have Carl LeClaire. Ah, my goodness, Jason, I'm so glad we get to do another week focused on None other than this incredible novel for Revenge of the Sith by Matthew Stover, who graciously joined us last week. And my goodness, was that conversation awesome. I was just so enamored with everything he had to say. So amazed at his recall from writing a book that was, you know, over a decade ago. Um, Mm -hmm. And the stories and the perspectives he had on this story were just phenomenal. So uh, I'm just so excited you know i have obviously talked about this book a lot over the years on the show um and always hinting at things that that really work for me so it's going to be fun for this week to just focus our attention on some of our favorite moments from the novel and and pretty much all of them for me are things that are kind of specific from the movie not necessarily things we see directly in the movie so um so I'm just excited to have this conversation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. And I will say one of my favorite things about recording last week with Matthew Stover was uh, watching Carl try not to just completely geek out uh, <laughs> the entire time. So, uh, yeah, Carl was, was uh, grinning like an idiot the whole time, and it was fantastic. I loved it. So It was, uh, it was so much fun. I, I was just so... It, yeah, I mean, I've loved this book since it came out. So to to be able to sit with with the person who wrote it was something else. Um, and we really do plan on taking him up on his offer to come back. Uh, we we're we're definitely going to get him back on the show later this year to to talk some more Star Wars. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, we'll probably not just keep it restricted to Revenge of the Sith either. So we'll we'll see yes. what he wants to talk yeah, about. We had some great <laughs> conversations with him off air that were. He just he's got a great mind for Star Wars, which is not surprising considering the masterpiece of his Revenge of the Sith novel, not to mention his other Star Wars books. Right, exactly. Um, so before we get into our discussion of what we loved about the novel, uh, it is that time of the month again where we are going to be doing another giveaway. So this month's giveaway, <laughs> this month's giveaway item, is a copy of the novel by Claudia Gray, Master and Apprentice. Um, so if you have never read this book, here's an opportunity to get your hands on a, on a free copy. Maybe you've read the book, you don't own it, and you'd like to have it because it is definitely worth rereading over time. I've I've read it three times already. It is a phenomenal novel about Qui Gon and Obi Wan's relationship years before Phantom Menace. Um, so in order to enter to win this, all you have to do is uh, either share it on your Instagram story when you see the Instagram post later this week. Uh, same thing with Twitter. Like it, share it, all that jazz. Um, and if you have neither of those platforms, you can just write a review for us in the iTunes store to be entered to, to win the 
copy of Master and Apprentice. Yes, exactly. And it'll be a lot of fun. If you've never had a chance to read it, um, you'll, you will enjoy it. Uh, and I think, you know, it's, it's definitely up there in the new Canon, uh, material that has come out. It's definitely one of my favorites. So, yep. Same here. Um, it, it, it well, I, w- I won't say what are my favorites. Cause w- I think we're going to a little bit later this year, do some of our, do kind of talk some of our favorite new canon and old canon books of star wars so i'll I'll save that but i will say it's towards the top of my list as well um yeah so um yeah so there you go uh another contest for you to take part in um and uh we'll be uh starting back up our matchups thank you (laughs) i just totally had a brain fart yeah and uh (laughs) So we, we had our March uh, This Is Madness tournament. Uh, then we had a couple of episodes that were sort of uh, specific to different things. We had the return of Tales of the Larians, which uh, will be back before too long. Um, and then, of course, we had our interview with Matthew Stober. So we didn't really want to bring the matchups and polls back during those episodes. But we got a good matchup for you to bring that back um, at the end of this one. So stay tuned to the end for that. No sneak peeks. um well that said i'm i i want to open the floor with your number five jason oh my number five we're gonna start there um this one is this is just a really small little moment from the revenge of the sith novel that is goofy it's just absolutely goofy and ridiculous and i love that that Matthew Stover put it in the novel because it just makes me laugh. Um, this is during the uh, escape through the invisible hand. I think I know where uh, you're going. And Obi-Wan wakes up to the <laughs> rather awkward and uncomfortable up close and upside down view of Anakin's butt. Uh, and just <laughs> the way that he has Obi-Wan sort of wake up to the realization of what he's looking at, why he's there, and the fact that, oh, he's hanging upside down, not looking up at Palpatine dangling from Anakin's ankle as well. <laughs> um, it's just It was just a nice little way that that was all paced out and sort of like a, oh, what am I? This is it. Hello. Hi. Oh. You know, sort of situation. And it was just goofy and hilarious and i i loved it um it was just we didn't talk about it uh last week with with, uh matthew but it was just one of those things where it's just like that's you know it's funny it's just funny and the the i think i don't remember the exact wording but it's something to the effect of you know the up close and upside down view of anakin's butt at least he thought it was Anakin's butt. He'd never had the opportunity to be this close and in this <laughs> and to have this angle at it before. Um, you know, so I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. So it just it greatly amused me. Uh and that's why it made my my list here of my top favorite moments from this book. <laughs> yeah, I know our our friend of the show, Rachel, made that she made a comment on our on our Twitter last week. Um, I can't remember if it was right before we'd had him on or right after. And she made a comment about it. Ask him about it. Anakin's butt. <laughs> and, and told, <laughs> I kind of wish we had brought that up. I, I, I feel bad that we were remiss to, to bring that up to him specifically. I'm sure he would have gotten a good chuckle out of it too. Yeah. Just means we're gonna have to have him on next time. So yes, Ask him next time. we'll just title that episode <laughs> Anakin's butt. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but then we'll never mention it. Ever. We'll yeah. it. <laughs> Just title the episode that, but don't talk about it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. What about you? What's, what's your uh, number five moment, Carl? Um, it also comes from the escape from the invisible hand. And I, and I'm calling it Palpatine's murderous intent and a oh. couple of times. And this is never quite as explicit in the movie, but when Obi-Wan um, is unconscious and, and Palpatine is trying to get Anakin to leave him behind, right? We get the scene, obviously, in the movie of like, he seems to be all right. Leave him. We'll never make it. His fate will mm-hmm. be the same as ours, right? That scene is in the movie, but 
uh, Palpatine tries two more times to get Anakin, you know, as they're getting closer to the bridge, he's like, Anakin, leave Obi-Wan with me and you go take care of Grievous. He'll be no problem for you, but leave Obi-Wan with me. And I've, like I said, I've read this novel a lot over the years. And it was last year when I was reading this book with a, a book group that I'm in. And for the first time ever, I, it really struck me. I'm like, holy crap, Palpatine's going to kill Obi-Wan. Like, I just, mm-hmm. I never picked up on that before in the book that, you know, Palpatine wants to separate the two of them since, since Dooku was unsuccessful in killing him, Palpatine's going to try to get Anakin away so that he can just do it himself, which is so dark and so scary, especially to think that Obi-Wan's unconscious too. Like he would never just wake up because Palpatine was going to snuff him out. Um, and, and right. It, it plays up this huge plot point of, of what's so important in Revenge of the Sith. And that's that importance of separating Anakin from Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan is Anakin's conscience. As long as Obi-Wan is in Anakin's life in a close personal way, it's going to be very hard for Palpatine to chip away at him. Right. So yeah. Palpatine needs to get Obi-Wan out of the picture. And that is made very clear in the conversation he has with Dooku at the beginning of the book. Um, so I just, I, yeah, that really struck me that there's a few t- instances there where Palpatine tries really hard to get Anakin to leave Obi-Wan with him. I was going back over the uh, sections of the audiobook for my moments, just sort of refresh it in my mind uh, this morning. And um, in getting to the Anakin's butt portion, I heard that part where they're like in the... Uh, in the, the elevator shaft and Palpatine is like, yeah, no Grievous. You got to go get Grievous. Go take care of him. Leave Obi-Wan with me. We'll be fine. And then he can take me down to the, the hangar when he wakes up. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, Obi-Wan's not waking up if this happens. So like yeah. that, that struck me too. I was like, man, that that's true. Oh, Palpatine is, he's going to do it as himself. If yeah. uh, if given half the chance, so yeah. it's also one of the rare occasions in in the story. Um, and again, this is specific to the book. I mean, yes, he stands up to Palpatine in the in the movie, right? Like, no, his fate will be the same as ours. But when Palpatine kind of pushes it again, Palpatine even says in the book, he says, "Anakin, I could make it in an order, right?" Um, and he says, "Well, with all due respect, sir, in in a situation like this, I outrank you." Um, So it's an interesting little point, though, where it's also a point for Palpatine to realize still how faithful Anakin is going to be to Obi-Wan. Like he's going to pick Obi-Wan over Palpatine at this point still in the story. So and I just think like it's I'm not going to bring up this point. So I apologize because now I'm reaching and almost pulling a second. But it it makes sense why Palpatine plays up the little love triangle later on in the story. He's got to get Anakin to to mistrust Obi-Wan. How is he going to do that? Make it Im- imply in some way that there's something fishy going on between Padme and Obi Wan. So yeah, right. Yeah, no, that's that's exactly it, exactly it. And and at this point, Obi Wan is more important to Anakin than Palpatine is. Mm-hmm. And then just to prove that point uh, later on, when he's really laying into Anakin, uh, he says. So he basically asks Anakin. Do you love Obi Wan more than Padme? And that's right. That's what cleaves it, yeah, for Anakin. So, but not at this point. At this point, uh, you know, Obi's safe. Right. right. <laughs> um, what's your next one? Well, it, it's good that Obi's safe because my next one is all about Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, and this is his relationship. This is spread out over a couple of scenes, so it's not a specific scene, but it is his relationship with Boga his dragon mount mm. oh, on nice. Utapau. Um, because we get a little bit of their sort of um, interaction in the movie, but it's very brief and cursory. Um, but the way that Obi-Wan not only uh, finds Boga uh, as the proper mount for him by, you know, using the force and finding the one, you know, the, the correct mount for him to, to take into the situation. But the way that they sort of like meld and connect and she can almost read his thoughts and stuff like that and the way that she, in the book, dies saving mm. him from the blast yeah. from the clones. You know, she could feel it coming and protected him from the blast. Uh, 
So just the whole relationship of the two of them throughout their sneaking in, the combat, and then Order 66 was just a really nice thing to get into the mind of everything because you know Obi-Wan says that he was always much more comfortable with uh, organic mounts than Anakin was, and just like and he hated flying, where Anakin preferred something mechanical um, and stuff like that. So it was just really nice to see that sort of connection be built and played out throughout the whole sequence. Mm. So, which yeah. is something I appreciated. Yeah, they're, they're, they do a great job of really stressing the bond that is forged quite quickly between Boga and, and Obi Wan. Um, and interestingly enough, that's a cool little. Uh, callback that they use in the Master and Apprentice novel when Anik, or excuse me, when Obi Wan and Qui Gon go to Pyjol, they ride Vractals. They do Vractal racing on Pyjol, which is the planet there. So it's a cool little. I, I love how Claudia Gray brought this back into her novel to show uh, Obi Wan really finding great delight and joy in, in riding a Vractal for the first time, and he seems to slip right back into that comfortability with uh, Boga. Um, yeah, yeah, like you said, it's great how it really does, you know, Matt really points out how Boga uh, gives her life for for Obi-Wan. Um, and by the way, I call him Matt because before we recorded last week, I asked him, I said, what, what would you like us to call you? Because every all of my correspondence, I was referring to him as Mr. Stover. You know, it's important to be try to be respectful. I, I, don't, I don't know the man, uh, but he was right. like, oh, you can call me Matthew, Matt, whatever. Um, and I just thought that was funny because he, he is so like, I love the, whenever you talk about George Lucas, he'd always call him Mr. Lucas, which I just thought was so adorable. Um, yeah, but just kind of the position you and I find ourselves with Mr. Stover. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh man. Um, yeah. What about you? What's your, what's your number four? Uh, my number four is, is actually, uh, it's something I asked him about last week in, in, on our show, but it, I call it Anakin's gift to Padme. Um, and this is essentially a deleted scene. It's not, it's never brought up in the movie at all. Um, and as I recall, uh, Matthew said that he's not sure if this was something that he came up with or not, but there is instances of this in the Tarakoski series. So he's like, maybe I got inspired by that, or maybe it was the other way around. He's, he's not sure. Um, but it's this moment when Anakin is thinking back to when he and Padme exchange their droids mm-hmm. and, and Anakin's thinking about, you know, after they get married, you know, it's customary to give, you, you know, the bride some sort of, you know, something sacred to to commemorate the, the wedding. And he doesn't really have anything. So the first thing he gives her is 3PO. And he basically says, well, you know, I'm a Jedi now anyway. I can't have possessions. Um, and she gives him R2 is kind of a companion. Um, she knows how important it is for Anakin to have those types of companions. That's the mm-hmm. reason he built 3PO. But the most incredible part of this scene is when he comes to her after he's knighted and he brings her his apprentice braid, right? He yeah. presents that to her. She keeps it as a keepsake. I mean, this is this, this Padawan braid is the most important, you know, life, uh, the goal or accomplishment Anakin's ever had up to this point. So yeah. it's the most sacred thing in his life. It's, it's something he's been working for his, I mean, since he's, since he showed up on Coruscant. Um, so to give that to Padme is to really signify to her that he, he gives him whole, his whole self to her. Um, I just thought that was a really beautiful scene. Yeah, no, it, it really is. Um, it's it's everything that he has worked for, everything he has aspired to be. Um, in a sense, it's probably partially something that she inspired him to achieve as well, um, mm-hmm. and that's what he's telling her in this. Uh, you know, he's he's giving this to her not only by saying, "This is my most prized possession, my most prized accomplishment," but it's also yours. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Um, and, and that's beautiful. So, uh, because he is hers. So, right. (laughs) There we are getting, getting all romantic and sappy on ourselves, but, (laughs) but yes, uh, no, I, I do like that scene. Um, and yeah, it's short. I mean, it's not, it's it's not anything long, um, but it's, it's perfect. And, um, you know, it's, it's uh it, it it's it's it happens in the book when they're 
um, again, they're fighting their way through the invisible hand and R2 has been separated from them. And again, it's, it's, this is, I mean, this is a plot that's been brought up in the clone Wars series several times. Um, you know, and, and Obi-Wan's essentially saying like, Hey, you got to learn to let him go. And then he kind of reflects on how important R2 is to him. Not just like the fact that they had this little connection all those years ago on Naboo, but it's more so because Padme gave R2 to him, right? It's an, it's an extension of her when she can't be around. So it's not just a random droid for Anakin. Um, and he, no. you know, so he, and he recalls that beautiful moment of, you know, after he's given Padme 3PO, she recognizes that he's, he's going to need a companion. So she gives him R2. Yeah. Yeah. And that's awesome. You know, R2 is the greatest and everyone <laughs> knows it. Um, so. <laughs> uh, is it my number three? It is, is indeed. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, well, this one, we're going to go all the way to the end, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is Yoda's conversation with Qui-Gon. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this was written for the movie. They wanted to put it in the movie. But unfortunately, when they were going to film it, Liam Neeson was, I believe, in the hospital from like a, a motorcycle accident or something like that. I think that's right. It was something, you know, uh, painful and that was going to keep him from being there. Uh so it it got cut, um, but we have the actual conversation where Yoda uh, admits to Qui Gon his failure in all of this, uh, that he has much to learn. Qui Gon explaining to him how he can continue to learn even after his own death and be able to manifest himself uh, mentally and physically through the Force um, beyond death. And then it ends with this really beautiful thing. Where an almost 900 year old Jedi Master, you know, stands, clasps his hands together, and bows as a Padawan does in the presence of their master. And he puts himself under the tutelage of Qui Gon Jinn. Um, and that's something that I really have always liked. Um, I've always liked the, the idea of this scene. Um, and then, of course, we explore it somewhat in the Clone Wars with the, the Yoda arc as. Qui-Gon sort of sends him on this journey of discovery um, through Dagobah and things like that. Uh, but it is definitely one of those things where I've always appreciated and, and enjoyed the the imagery and the symbolism and the um, the reverence that Yoda has by putting himself as the student again mm-hmm. under Qui-Gon Jinn. Um, so. Yeah, that's a... That's a phenomenal part. Um, and I weirdly did not include it, which is silly because it is one of my favorite parts. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, that, that dialogue between the two of them, the way in which, yeah, Yoda is, Yoda is so um, contrite in this scene, right? Uh, the Sith changed. They, they evolved. They, they grew with the times. I didn't let the Jedi Order do that. I prepared them for a thousand-year-old war. Right. Um, I failed them. Um, and I think that's part of what makes Yoda so great when we get to him in Empire is because it's not that he needed to be humbled, but it was that he was humbled and he remained humble. Right. Um, it's it, especially today. We live in a culture where somehow admitting you were wrong is seen as like a weakness as when it shouldn't be. Right. It's OK to be wrong. Um, and, and that's obviously a powerful lesson that Ryan Johnson brought to episode eight. Um, you know, f- failure is the greatest teacher. I mean, this is Yoda speaking from experience here at, at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a very powerful scene. And, and I love how Qui-Gon is so quick to forgive. Like, hey, it's not your fault. You know, you can't you can't wallow in that guilt. Um, and, and I also like how the scene begins, how Yoda's meditating. It says, once again, the force is speaking to him. And lately, when the Force speaks, it speaks in the voice of Qui-Gon Jinn. And this, yes. this is the one question I forgot to ask Matthew last week. And, and when we have him on again, I definitely want to ask him is, how does he understand the Force? Because I love this discussion because there, there's a gamut of responses. Um, right? It, it, that scene almost seems to imply, the way he wrote that, it almost seems to imply that the Force does have some sort of um, – willfulness right that it can speak that it has something to communicate right which is a very like 
uh, incarnational Christian God type of an image. Uh, but then there mm-hmm. are people that just say, no, the force is totally ambivalent. It's just a force. Um, and, and I know that, uh, like, uh, I think it was, um, Charles soul had made some comments not long ago on an interview about the force that really bothered some people <laughs> the way he described the force. And somebody told me what it was. He said, and I didn't care for it either, but, um, I'm not here to like say he's wrong or anything. It's just, uh, he, he had a, he had a much more like, Oh, it's just an ambivalent thing created by life. And I don't like, I mean, I personally don't like that, that perspective. Um, but all that to say in this scene, uh, Matt Stover almost seems to imply that the force does have some sort of conscious will. Um, and that yeah. does speak to certain Jedi. And so like Qui-Gon has become now a voice of the force because of that ability to join to it. And, and he's going to teach Yoda how to do that. Um, and, and yeah. I know, obviously I, I asked Matthew last week about whole, the whole idea that love is the answer, right? That th- this, this is the goal of the Sith to, right. to gain eternal life. But it is something that will be forever beyond their grasp because it comes from, you know, letting go. It comes from the release of self, not the exaltation of self. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I love this, and I love how quick, like you were mentioning, how Yoda submits to that teaching. Um, it's great. Yeah. And the 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 description of him standing up, clasping his hands, and bowing was just one of those things that. I, that stuck with me listening to it uh, again. I was like, that's a really a powerful visual mm. for all of this and something that I, I'm honestly very disappointed that we didn't get to see in the movie. So, you know, obviously extenuating circumstances prevented it, but I would have loved to have seen that yeah. shown. Yeah. Uh, because that visual seems like a very powerful, very you know, powerful uh, imagery there. So I like that. Yeah, they do. I mean, it is included on the DVD and Blu-ray, I believe the deleted scene, which is essentially just like a storyboard cut of it. And they have a different person doing the lines for Qui-Gon. Um, but uh, yeah, it would have been really cool to, to, to have that actualized. So yeah, very cool. All right. Uh, what's your number three then, sir? Um, I call it Obi-Wan visits Padme and it's, it's the very visit that Palpatine's going to use to try to get under Anakin's skin. Um, and this is not a scene that we get in the movie and it's, it's this great moment where Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan is so beautifully characterized in, in the novel in a way that I don't think he got a fair treatment in the movie. Um, and he is a very lonely character. And this is a scene that kind of exemplifies that he goes to Padme he is very aware of the nature of their relationship. And as he's asking Padme questions about Anakin, you know, how is he, what's kind of going on? And she's like, please don't make me respond to these things. I don't want to talk about it. Right. Like, and he's, he, he literally says to her, I'm not here to make you uncomfortable. And I certainly don't mean to hurt our friendship. Um, But he's there to basically say to her, if Anakin leaves the order right now, it's going to be a mess. And, and I love this because he's going there because of his deep love for Anakin. And for him, there's a, uh, there's a line in there where Obi-Wan even says to him, you know, Hey, if, if life's path takes Anakin away from, from the order, so be it. But I think it's important that he stays there now. And the way he leaves is important too. And I think Obi-Wan is well aware that this is a very critical time, both in Anakin's life, but also in like the life of the Republic. And, Uh For Obi-Wan, Anakin needs the discipline of the Order right now. He he can't handle this on his own, and he wants to make sure that Padme's on his side there. And I just think that it's kind of a tall order to ask. I mean, it, it is a very uncomfortable scene. It's something I would have loved to have seen them film, because Ewan and Natalie are both phenomenal actors, and I think they could have crushed the scene. Um, but it is yeah. like, it's just this awkward moment where they're they're dancing around the facts, right? They both... Padme doesn't want to tell him the truth, but he knows the truth and he doesn't want to call her on it either. He's not there to judge or condemn, which is, again, something I love about Obi-Wan. Um, a, a nice, again, I, I love how that we got the whole Satine arc in Clone Wars because of Obi-Wan understands Anakin more than Anakin realizes. Um, yes. But in this scene in, in the book, it's, 
it's Obi-Wan just genuinely caring for both of them. He doesn't show up there to accuse her of anything or to belittle her. It's just more to recruit her. To recruit yeah. her and in the sense of like, here's what's best for Anakin right now. We have to make sure we're on the same page about that. So like, I mean, it is kind of an awkward thing, whether it's appropriate or not, I think is a debatable question itself, but he's there to make sure that she's going to agree with him on this because if she is pushing for Anakin to leave, he knows he'll leave. Um, yeah. and he doesn't want that to happen. And, and, and Padme does agree with him because, again, she's kind of dancing along to the tune of there's nothing going on between us, <laughs> you know. Right, right, right. Um, and, and the way Doesn't you say, you know, we pretend I don't know anything. Yes, because I. <laughs> yes, exactly. And and as he's leaving, though, it's this the, she, she says to him, you love him, don't you? And the way Matt Stover writes this scene is he tells us that Obi-Wan turns around having never looked so alone and just says, please do what's best for him. Right. Obi-Wan is just so crushed by having to have to do this. Um, and, and I thought it was interesting last week, how, how Matthew pointed out that he didn't hold Obi-Wan responsible in any way for Anakin's fall, but he does say Obi-Wan's kind of failure here is to just face the facts and really confront him. And like, this is a scene where, you know, he yeah. is going there and, and having this conversation, he is still enabling the relationship. You know, I mean, his duty as a Jedi is to essentially say, like, you guys can't be doing this. You need to stop. And and again, like, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with, like, that they need to either. But um, Obi-Wan does kind of enable it. Um, and again, I'm not condemning Anakin and Padme. That's not what I'm implying by this. But, you know, by saying, like, hey, listen, I don't want to know and I don't want to talk about it. All I want to say is make sure he stays in the order. But it's just like, ah, you're, you're, you know, by kind of teetering on the fence there, you're making things, you're not necessarily making them much better. No, no, no. It, it, it's, it's keeping things, you're trying to maintain the status quo when things need to be pushed one way or another. And unfortunately, Obi-Wan, um, his blind spot is Anakin's feelings mm. and how Anakin, you know, how he loves Anakin, how he uh, cares about Anakin and how uh, Anakin cares about others. You know, that is Obi-Wan's blind spot. Mm. Um, I think Mace calls that out on him at some point in the book. Somebody I think does, or maybe the narration just does. Um, but, um, and this is that moment where Obi-Wan wants to do something, but he doesn't want to hurt Anakin and he doesn't want to try and, you know, uh, push things too far one way or another because he's already had the awkward confrontation where he gave the unofficial assignment from the council to Anakin. Yeah. So um, this is like, hey, Padme, could you maybe like help out just a little bit because this is really awkward and I need help. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a very awkward situation for everyone involved. Um, and I think it would have been much to everyone's benefit if Obi-Wan and Padme had confronted Anakin together yeah. as a unified front. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, if you're interested about where this this encounter happens, it's right at the start of Chapter 13, The Will of the Force. Um, that's where Obi-Wan goes to Padme. Um, great, great scene. So uh, what is your number two? My number two. Um, this is... Uh, this is shortly after Anakin invades the Jedi Temple. This is the scene where it is from 3PO's perspective... And 3PO gets to talk to R2-D2 while Anakin visits Padme before he leaves for Mustafar. And uh, this is, you know, obviously R2 and 3PO are two of my favorite characters in Star Wars. You know, R2 yeah. is always number one. Um, so getting to have this conversation between the two of them, something then just in general, I really appreciate it. But it was definitely one of the things where... Uh, in its placement in the book, it offered just a brief moment of appropriate levity 
Um, cause everything was just dark, 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 you know, for many, many chapters leading up to this. Um, so I've heard that sort of appropriate amount of, you know, light levity, but also a moment for us as the readers to step back away from the main players and say, yeah, no, what Anakin is, is experiencing, what he is thinking and feeling objectively just doesn't add up because R2 tells 3PO the factors don't add up. You know, he says that several times and 3PO's like, oh, I don't know anything either. Nobody tells us anything. And R2's like, yeah, well, we just don't know that nobody's telling us the truth in any of this. So they they have this conversation about, you know, how things just aren't lining up, how what is being said isn't real <laughs> to some extent. Uh, and then I think the saddest part of all of it is R2 tells 3PO that Anakin doesn't talk to him anymore. Mm. Uh, yeah. Anakin doesn't talk to me anymore. I, I don't know what's going on. So, um, and it's just, it's just a little part of it because then the, the scene transitions into Anakin and Padme's perspective and continues from there. Uh, but it's just a little moment and something I really like. I really appreciated not only, like I said, because of the two characters, but just the opportunity to step back and say, Hey, this, none of this lines up. And, you know, the outside perspectives, the, the main players, you know, anybody putting the pieces together saying, we've got three and five and we're making 10 and something doesn't line up, you know? So, (laughs) but uh, yeah, so it's, it's just a, I think it's a really good scene um, and just a really nice one for me uh, for my two favorite characters. So. <laughs> this is something I was going to point out to, to Matthew last week is he, as far as I know, he's the only star Wars author to give direct dialogue for R2. Right? Cause like, it's not R2 just being translated by three PO. It's we actually get dialogue from R2 directed to three PO, which yes. we've just never gotten before. Um, yeah. And yeah, and it's it's a really interesting way for that scene to play out because um it is it's really just the two of them and their perspective together. Um and yeah, it's it is this great moment where you just see how and how beautifully that contrasts with kind of something we were just talking about with the beginning of the book, Anakin's all nervous that oh R2 might be lost to him and now we get to the end of the story and Anakin's not even talking to him. I don't know. There's, there's this right. real severance in their relationship. I think one of the, the great things about the audiobook for this scene, and maybe that's part of why I appreciated it so much, uh, is what they did with R2's dialogue is while the narrator is reading his lines, they put beeping R2 beeping sound effects underneath that. Oh, so, cool. um, yeah, so that was that was kind of a nice blending of, of the narration with what we know R2 to sound like. So um, I think that was a really uh, smart and clever way that the producers and the narrator worked together to to make the audiobook. So yeah, and yeah. even R2 seems frustrated and, and, and exhausted in the scene. Yes, right. Yes. Yeah, 3PO is just like, I, I don't know anything. And he's so like flustered and like throwing his hands up at all at everything. Like, I, I just, I don't know. And of course, at the end of that scene is when he says, I just feel so helpless to, to Padme. Uh, and she agrees. Um, but R2 is just like, he comes across as just a little bit irritated and frustrated about everything. Like, yeah. it, the factors don't add up. Right. And, and he's an astromech droid, and it's the factors and numbers and things like that that make sense to him. But the factors aren't adding up, and and he can't make sense of it all. And that's he comes across rather irritated and frustrated uh, because of all that. So yeah, it's it's a really interesting little scene, and I love it so very very much. Yeah, it's great. It's yeah, um, and and it, it it's cool because from three PO's perspective. He has like his threat monitor up, yeah. um, which is kind of interesting. Like, it's like, is Anakin a threat here? <laughs> yeah. Um, which, yeah. yeah, just so such a neat take because I've always liked this scene in the movie in general. It's just it, it, it's it's very beautifully shot. Um, and 
but yeah, it's it's interesting how, um, and this is something that happens a few times towards, I guess, just twice, but towards the end of the book, there is a recognition from other characters that Anakin has changed. Um, mm-hmm. obvi- well, yes, Padme has that recognition, but three PO is the first one here. You know, his his threat monitor is up, and um, again, this is me cheating and pulling in something that's not on my list. But uh, when they're about to duel. Um, and uh, on Mustafar and uh, Obi-Wan says to Padme, get away from him. He will hurt you. He's not yeah, who yeah. you think he is. Right. Like there is this real threat that Anakin has changed. Um, yeah. He's not the boy you fell in love with. <laughs> no, not anymore. So. Well, what about you? What, what's your uh, what's your number two, sir? Um, I call it Palpatine's temptation games. Um, and uh it, it, this is something uh, Matthew brought up a little bit last last week when he was on, but it's it's these very like human temptations that Palpatine starts throwing at Anakin in that scene in his um, in his office where he's trying to teach Anakin to say what he wants, and he's like, yeah. "What do you want, boy? Tell tell me what you want, and I will have it. I will get it for you." And you know, looks out the window and he's like, "Well, what about you know one of these really high end fancy speeders? Sure, it's done." What if I said I want a Corellia? Do you want all of this? Do you want the whole system or just one of the planets? You know, what if I wanted the war to end? Do you, is tomorrow? Tomorrow is, you know, yeah. you know? And you know, and Anakin's like, how would you do that? He's like, we're not talking about how. We're just asking what, right? Yeah. And and this scene, like, obviously, like there, the big temptation scene in the movie and also in the book is you know the Darth Plagueis narrative. Um, but I like this one so much more because there's just something so human about it. And, and during the entire scene, and, and Matt Stover does this a lot in his book, is he really stresses the human relationship between Anakin and Palpatine. That Palpatine really is kind of like this father-like figure for him. And there's this warm compassion that always seems to be coming off of Palpatine to Anakin. Um, and he's just giving, you know, just kind of these the silly little temptations in a way. But the idea is to get Anakin to talk about what he wants to focus on himself and focus on his plans and, and his desires. And it, as I'm, as I've read this scene countless times in the book, it does make me immediately think of, you know, like the story of the devil tempting Jesus, you know, when he's in the desert, right. Trying to steer him away from his true path. Um, that's exactly what Palpatine's doing here. And, and, he gives Anakin this analogy of going inward. He's like, see yourself on this, you know, the top of this snowy mountain and look down at the core of who you are and tell me what you really want. And it's this really powerful moment because it pushes Anakin to stop thinking about what's best for Padme, to stop thinking about what's best for him as a Jedi. He just starts thinking, what's best for me? And he puts himself at the center of the universe, which is the temptation of the Sith, right? Like earlier in the book, we get that great scene with Count Dooku where we get to see from Dooku's perspective how he views the Force, that the Force is his tool. He is the center of it, whereas the Jedi are the opposite of that. They are part of the Force. So what Palpatine is doing in this scene is he's really challenging Anakin to think, and you know, he puts it all in great light. He's like, you know, the Jedi are always telling you, don't be passionate, don't fall in love. But you know, this is the gift of the Sith is, is to be honest about what you feel and about what you desire. And right. Like, again, I think the true answer is somewhere in between these. Um, but, uh, you know, for Anakin in this scene, it's really, he leaves their thinking about himself. And that's what the, that's what it says as the scene ends. Anakin thinks about himself, um, and that this is where the transformation really starts because he's not thinking about Padme anymore. He's thinking about Anakin. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm right there with you, Carl. This is actually my number one. Um, oh, nice. This yeah. So um, it is, it is just a fantastic scene. Obviously, you know, in the movie, I am a huge fan of, you know, Darth Plagueis the Wise, but that's the seed of like, here's what you could achieve. Um, this is the kind of power that the Sith could have. This scene here in the book, this is all about getting Anakin to completely re- rewire his brain to think inward rather than outward and make him realize that what he really wants 
what he really wants is Padme. Mm-hmm. Because Palpatine tells him, I just wanted to get you to the point where you could actually admit what you really want. And Padme goes from being his love to his possession mm. in this scene. Mm. Um, and how he needs to keep this, this little fragile person safe for himself. You know? Uh, and that's obviously the end of this scene is when he reveals that, oh, yes, I am the Sith Lord and Darth Plagueis was my master. So I could help you with that, you know, and, and, and that's how the whole scene plays out. And it is just absolutely skeezy and disgusting the way Palpatine manipulates the words and thoughts and emotions and everything. And it's just, ugh. but it works for Anakin at this moment because of, of how he's feeling and thinking and everything that Palpatine has done up to this point to get him alone and get him to this vulnerable position. Um, it's just, it's just absolutely. This is where everything changes. Mm-hmm. You know, this is where he wins Anakin's heart, soul, and mind. Uh, even if Anakin goes back to the Jedi Temple, talks to Mace Windu, and then has to come in after the duel to fully pledge himself, this is where it's won. This is where the battle is won, right here. And Palpatine knows it. Um, but, yeah, this is... It's a very long scene in the book. Like, it's mm-hmm. over 20, maybe almost 30 minutes in the audiobook. It's... And it's just one long scene. It's not even like, you know, broken up into sections or uh, it's only broken up with uh, other action once, too. Like, uh, it's it's crazy and it's superbly written. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it is, in my opinion, one of the best examples of the effectiveness of this book and uh, Matthew Stover's uh, artistry as an author um, here. So it's my number one uh, scene. My favorite moment from the novel. It's yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Um, Yeah. Uh, and, And again, like I think that's everything that, the reason I love this book so much is just because it really gets, you know, is everyone who knows who's read this book, it gets into the minds and the hearts of these characters in a way that nothing else really ever has. Um, you know, yeah, it's very, very powerful. Um, Incredibly so. Um, so my number one, you got one more? yeah, yeah. It's, it's not a specific moment. I will say, um, I'm, I'm cheating here a little bit, but it's the whole concept of the dead star dragon. Mm. I love yeah. this is, this is where I was latched into this book every time. Um, and you know, it was so cool. Like getting to ask Matthew about that, you know, <laughs> and, and to hear that story that he told about how ultimately it was something different. And then he changed yeah. it overnight in a kind of a drunken rage <laughs> because of the, the stuff he had to deal with from the publishers. Um, Cause George didn't like his original concept. Um, right. and, and in all honesty, like I'm kind of with George on that. And, and I don't mean this as a way of like bashing Matthew. Cause I think he created something even better out of it. You know, the yeah. initial idea of this dead star drag, well, it was just this dragon inside of him that represented his anger. Um, and right. George's concern was that it, it, it was something distinct from Anakin, right? That it wasn't actually indeed part of him, that there was some outside of outside force working on him. And it's very clear in episode three, both in the movie and the book that a Jedi doesn't fall because of someone else. They choose to, right? It's, it's an internal processing. It's an internal decision that one makes to, to go that way. So that was George's kind of hesitance with his initial idea of this dragon. So instead he creates this fear incarnate. And that's, that's what I love about it is the book does this so beautifully of, of showing the incredibly human story of how Anakin Skywalker becomes Darth Vader. Um, right. Like I, th- I think all of us speculated when we heard that the prequel trilogy was coming out in the late nineties, like, Oh my gosh, we're finally going to get to see Anakin Skywalker become Darth Vader. What makes that happen? 
And, and I'm sure there's some people that didn't love this, but to me, it could not have been a more perfect story than Anakin Skywalker falls because he's afraid of losing what he loves. You know, it's mm-hmm. the most human thing. It's, and it's a, it's a very common trope in a lot of fallen stories, right? Um, is that fear of fear of loss. Um, and I love how Matthew talked about this last week is that ultimately Anakin's greatest failure is his inability to let go. Right. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's funny because the prequel trilogy starts with Shmi who is able to let go. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's this, this, this kind of beautiful mirror where Anakin doesn't quite live up to it. And, you know, it's, it's, this concept is introduced pretty early in the book. Again, it's like this flashback memory Anakin has of an early mission he and Obi-Wan are on and they see this, you know, dead star and he's hit with the, the, the constant truth of life, which is nothing lasts forever, right? Life is impermanent. And that terrifies burnout. Yes. <laughs> and that terrifies Anakin. Yeah. And it never leaves him. And it becomes this festering dragon inside his own heart, constantly eating away at him, telling him he's not good enough. He's never going to be able to save the people he loves. No matter how gift, how gifted of a Jedi he is, he's never going to be enough. Um, and I think that this is a very human fear. I have battled in my own head and heart f- for much of life, you know, just that constant fear of not being enough. Um, and, and the fear of just losing what you love most. Um, so I, I love that this is kind of the core of Matthew Stover's story of Darth Vader. This is what Darth Vader was created to destroy. And even he couldn't do it. Um, you know, so it's, it's, I mean, this is, this is why I love that novel so much is because of this concept of, Anakin's fear. Um, yeah. And like I said, the, the when I started reading this book, I, I mean, I told him this on the show last week. I started reading this book almost every year. I did. I remember I read it. Um, I mean, I read it when it first came out, which would have been my freshman year of college. And then I read it again, sophomore year. And then I didn't read it the following year, but then when my college girlfriend and I split up, I read it again and every subsequent year for like five or six years straight, just because it was a great reminder to me of like, don't let that dead star dragon in you be more powerful than the truth of who you are. Right. Which is like, things do pass out of life and that's okay. You know, um, if you, if you try to cling to them, you destroy them. Um, yeah, you know, so uh, I just I love this in that that it's constantly coming up for Anakin throughout the book. And and then the way it ends with him realizing that that dead star dragon was never something else. Right. Because almost Anakin does try to see it as something outside of himself. But yeah. it's just like, no, I was never able to confront my deepest fear. You know, I kept trying to hide from it. And now I get stuck with it. So, um, yeah, yeah, I love it. So that's no, my favorite part of that book. It's a fantastic part of the book, uh, and rightly so. Um, it's one of the things that gets mentioned a lot in discussions about the book. Um, it is, it is definitely one of those things because the the anger isn't what isn't is a symptom. Anakin's anger is a symptom. It's not the cause. Mm-hmm. The root of all of this this thing that changes him of, of what turns him to the dark side is his fear. The, the angry outbursts and the lashing out uh, the, the fury of Darth Vader, if you will, is, is not what, what changes Anakin. It's not why he became Darth Vader. All of that is just to, to hide and to try and beat back and to, snuff out his own terror Mm -hmm. and what he cannot face. Yeah. Um, And something he never confronted. Uh, And something that's interestingly enough, it it seems like Obi-Wan has contrasted many times in the book to being able to approach things without fear and with just complete acceptance. Like he, he knows there are literally tens of thousands of battle droids when he's about to jump in by himself to confront general Grievous on Utapau and he prepares himself for death. He's like, well, if this is where it ends, 
I guess I'm a little sad it wasn't with Anakin at my side, but this is how things go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and Anakin cannot do that, especially when it comes to the people he loves, especially when it comes to people like Padme or his mother or Obi-Wan, you know? So, and then to expand it to, you know, material released after the book, Ahsoka. So, Hmm. yeah. um, But yeah, this is, it is a very, very poignant and very uh, clever way to address all of that, um, that struggle throughout the book. Uh, I really, I do, I do like it a lot. I didn't pick it because it wasn't a specific scene, but uh, yeah, it's a fantastic part of the book and and I'm glad we got to talk about it here. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think the reason he's so that that encounter he had with the dead star all those years ago with Obi-Wan it hit him the way it hit him because of what happened with his mother, right? Being taken away from her at a young age and never being able to properly process that um, makes him afraid of the things he cares about just not being in his life anymore, which is very valid. Like that's a very humid, valid fear. Um, but you have to learn how to, how to respond to that and, and, and to, to live through it. And Anakin doesn't, he tries to control it rather than confront it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's what works so well for me in this book. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, there we go. Yes. Our top moments from the revenge of the Sith novel. I know. I I just feel like there's still so many more (laughs) I could talk about, and I'm sure we will as the, as time goes on in the years ahead, but yeah. Thank you for making me go back and revisit this, this novel for, for, (laughs) The discussions this month, I I really appreciate it. So <laughs> you're very welcome. I'm 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 glad we've been able to have such awesome conversations around. It. And I'm obviously still so just blown away and honored that Matthew Stover himself came on the show to talk about it. That was just awesome last week. That was so pretty, if for whatever rad. reason that you you did not listen to that episode last week, but you're listening to this one, I can't encourage you enough to go back and listen to the master himself talk about this book. It was it was a really fun discussion. So highly recommended. Yes, highly recommended. Um. So that said, um. You know, as always with any of these types of you know top moment episodes, we encourage you to share some of the things you loved about the Revenge of the Sith novel, especially if they were things we didn't talk about on the show. And you know, anything it could be whether it was in the movie or not. But if there's anything in particular that re- you really love about the Revenge of the Sith novel, Revenge of the Sith novel, we'd love to hear it. So, you know, please share that with us. Anything from Anakin's butt to the Dead Star Dragon, you know. (laughs) From the silly to the serious. Exactly. Oh, man. Well, uh, Carl, uh, I think before we close things out, we should bring back our our matchups. What, What do we have... For the end of this episode today, what are we? Who are we pitting against each other? A well, lightsaber duel. Yes, in, in light of some of the things Matthew Stover shared last week about how how deadly Grievous, Grievous really was in his his perspective, um, we want to know who you think would actually win if it was a, a full on duel between General Grievous and Mace Windu. Yes, Grievous versus Windu, fight. Uh, no, anyways, <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> But yes, uh, I'm excited to see what people think about this. Uh, I'm going to do some thinking. I think I know where I'm leaning, but we'll see. Um, but Carl, if people want to weigh in on anything that we talked about this episode, if they want to weigh in on the matchup when uh, we post it to the social media next week, where can people do that? Um, of course, we are on um, Twitter at Wampas Lair. You can find us on Facebook at Wampas Lair Podcast. You can uh, follow us on Instagram, The Wampas Lair. And you can always send us an email at Wampas Lair Podcast at gmail.com. Excellent. Anything else you've got to say before we close out this episode, Carl? No. The, the, may, the stars be, uh, may the stars be ignited by love. There we go. All right. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening to this episode of the Wampas Lair podcast. This has been episode number 421. 
top Revenge of the Sith novel moments. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampa's Lair. <laughs>